Welcome to podcast episode 215. I'm Stuart McCullough. I'm the CEO of VHAA. Joining me for this week's discussion is workplace relations consultant Madeline White. Maddie, welcome. Hi, Stuart. Maddie, you know the drill. Uh, I'm going to show you a clue, and based on that clue, you are going to hazard a guess as to the subject for today's discussion. Uh, this week, it's a piece of footage which is up on screen now. So, Maddie, uh, based on a clue, what would you say the subject for today's discussion is? Looks as though it's a bit of a modern-day jousting situation. So I'm struggling to place how that relates to industrial uh, relations, to be honest with you, Stuart. Uh, and just for the benefit of those people who are listening rather than watching, yes, we have two people uh, on bicycles who are uh, jousting. Perhaps a little bit more footage would be helpful. Or perhaps not. Uh, Maddie, based on that, what would you say the subject for today's discussion is? Oh, I'm still I'm still at a loss, but I'll give it a give it a go to guessing. So it's still someone's been thrown off their bike in that jousting situation. So um, I can only guess there's been some sort of disagreement. Um, so I'm just thinking something to do with disputes, something to do with not agreeing, um, but in terms of an exact answer, I, I, I don't think I can give you one, Stuart. Uh, Maddie, you're you're really dancing around the subject, and uh, I think Tim Nagel could take some notes as to how to solve these particular riddles as such. These two people clearly have a disagreement, which they are choosing to settle by riding bicycles with brooms uh, and in a form of in a to in a jousting competition. Uh, we have a different mechanism. Um, under our enterprise agreements, we have a dispute resolution procedure. So that brings us to today's subject, the dispute resolution procedure under the nurses and midwives agreement, including the modifications that were made in the 2020 agreement. Uh, so for those who are playing along at home, uh, it's clause 13 of the nurses and midwives 2020 agreement. Yes, and it does contain a lot of familiar terms, but there are some changes that we'll be highlighting. Maddie, let's start with the obvious question when it comes to dispute resolution procedures. Why bother? So dispute settlement is a compulsory term and every enterprise agreement must have one. So let's get that term up on screen because I, I think people often wonder why it is that we have these terms and agreements. Uh, it's subclause 6 of section 186 of the Fair Work Act. Yes, so subclause 6 um, states that the Fair Work Commission must be satisfied that the agreement includes a term a, that provides a procedure that requires or allows the Fair Work Commission or another person who is independent of the employers, employees or employee organisations covered by the agreement to settle disputes. 
um, about any matters arising under the agreement and in relation to the national employment standards. And finally, that allows the representation of employees covered by the agreement for the purposes of that procedure. What's interesting about that section for me, Maddie, is that it doesn't necessarily have to be the Commission, um, but it must be someone who is independent of the parties and that representation of the employees must be allowed. Uh, but of course, our agreements uh, have a reference to the Fair Work Commission. So let's go to Clause 13 now. And the clause starts by saying that a dispute includes a grievance. Yes, so those terms are used interchangeably and that clause makes it clear that whatever you call it, it's a dispute. So I want to bring up on screen clause 13.1b of the agreement in particular, uh, which provides that the, this dispute resolution procedure will apply to any dispute arising in relation to this agreement. For the avoidance of doubt, this includes a request to work flexible working arrangements or a request for an additional 12 months parental leave or the NES. Um, the importance of that term um, is that it defines the scope of the clause. And the dispute has to be about either the agreement or the NES rather than about anything. If the issue, issue isn't about the agreement or the NES, then the dispute resolution procedure doesn't apply. So let's, let's give an example of that, Maddie. Yeah, so if a dispute is about a term under a policy or a previous agreement. So that brings us to key tip number one, consider the scope and in particular whether a particular dispute is within the scope of the dispute resolution clause. Uh, Maddie, so to our first real change, uh, we have a definition of the term party at subclause 13.1c. Specifically, a party is defined for the purpose of the clause as the employee or employees plural, uh, or the employer that are the subject uh, are subject to the dispute. The reason the definition was included is that the term party was used in, uh, in the previous clause, but not explained. All this seeks to do is fill a gap. Uh, the clause then goes on to say that party, uh, that is an employee or employer, uh, may be represented. Yes, critically represented at any stage. And it's not uncommon uh, for an employer to sometimes feel disappointed when employees seek union support before raising uh, an issue with, directly with their employer. Although that's a common source of frustration, the right to representation is embedded uh, in the clause and as we saw earlier in the Fair Work Act itself. So that takes us to subclause two, which uh, somewhat ominously is entitled obligations. Subclause two has four parts, but really covers two key obligations about any dispute. And the first is at subclause 13.2a. So that's upon screen now and it provides that the parties to the dispute and their representatives must genuinely attempt to resolve the dispute through the processes set out in this clause and must cooperate to ensure that these processes are carried out expeditiously. Um, let's talk about the phenomenon, uh, Maddie, of the pointed letter. Uh, everyone's received one at some point in their career. Um, a lot of people have probably sent one. Uh, and we're talking about the kind of letter that, uh, in part at least, is directed towards attacking or even insulting the recipient. Yes, it's appropriate, uh, it's appropriate to consider whether the conduct of the parties, be they the employer or the employee, as well as those representing them, are acting in a way that is consistent with generally attempting to resolve the dispute through the process in the clause. Uh, and timeliness is an important component to the obligation to ensure that the processes are carried out expeditiously. 
Is there a tip? Tip number two. Uh, up on screen, ask yourself whether the parties and representatives are genuinely attempting to resolve the dispute through the processes set out in the clause. So if the answer to that is no, it's not a conclusion that you should keep it to yourself. We'd recommend that members notify the party and if possible, uh, propose a way to engage and resolve the deficiency. So that brings us uh, maybe to the second obligation at 13.2, which sets, is set out at subclauses B through D. This obligation is often referred to as the status quo provision, but it's worth bringing the actual provision up on screen. While the dispute resolution procedure is being conducted, work will continue normally according to the usual practice that existed before the dispute until the dispute is resolved. Maddie, what are some practical examples of that? One example of that is that there can't be industrial action as part of the dispute that's not permitted. Although there is an important exception to the requirement to continue normally according to the usual practice. So the interesting thing about that example, it's an example about employee conduct, uh, but the same rule can also impact on what employers, can impact employers in terms of what they can and shouldn't do. Absolutely. A practical example of that might be a particular change the employer is seeking to introduce. If there's a dispute, implementation would generally be deferred. I would say generally because it can be a bit messy if the change impacts a lot of people who have, who have organised themselves for implementation. Maddie, I want to come back to the exception that you mentioned. You talked about an exception in the context of work continuing as normal uh, by the employer. Yes, the exception is safety. The requirement to do things as you normally would doesn't apply where uh, an employee has a reasonable concern about an imminent risk to their health or safety, has advised the employer of the concern, and has not unreasonably failed to comply with the direction by the employer to perform other available work that is safe and appropriate for the employee to perform. So the status quo is not required if it affects somebody's occupational health and safety. Yes, and lastly, no party to a dispute or person covered by the agreement will be prejudiced with respect to the resolution of the dispute by continuing to work under the clause. So in other words, keeping things as they are can't be used against you at a later time. Maddie, that takes us to subclause three, uh, dispute settlement facilitation. This is really about supporting the dispute uh, settlement process by time release. So when does it apply? Uh, where the chosen representative is another employee of the employer, that person will be released by the employer from normal duties, as is reasonably necessary to allow them to represent the employee. Um, so that is something that might apply to a local union representative or delegate? It is. And just in terms of representation, uh, it's, it's broader than just attending a meeting with another employee, isn't it? Yes, it, it includes time to investigate the circumstances of the dispute, um, participating in processes to resolve the dispute right through to the conciliation or even arbitration. And it's worth emphasising that these same rules around time release also apply to the employee who is the party uh, to the dispute. Yes, they do. So that takes us to 13.4, which is a discussion of dispute at, uh, at workplace. Yes, this is the heart of the dispute resolution procedure, uh, a process to support the resolution of disputes at work where possible. So the term requires that the parties attempt to resolve the dispute at the workplace. In the first instance, by discussions between the employee or employees and the employee's line manager or other relevant manager, 
And if the dispute is still unresolved by discussions between the employees and more senior managers. It's also worth noting that the dispute might concern an individual employee or a group of employees. Uh, Maddy, there's a change in that term um, with the new agreement. Yes, there is. At 13.4, uh, it provides that nothing prevents the parties from agreeing to conduct their discussions in writing, subject to clause 13.2. And 13.2 is that term that requires the parties and their representatives to genuinely attempt to resolve the dispute. Um, so that's really a recognition that uh, engaging by correspondence might work for someone. It's true that meeting and interacting is often preferred because it may give the dispute the best chance of resolving, but it's not uh, always practical or necessary. So 13.4 also, also talks about the time uh, that these activities should be undertaken within. Yes, the efforts to resolve the workplace should occur within 14 days or such longer periods as mutually agreed, say that the agreement won't be unreasonably withheld. So I want to focus in on 13.4c, uh, which provides as follows. Where a party believes the requirements of this clause 13.4 have not been complied with, they will notify the other of their concern in writing as soon as practicable. The obvious question uh, that arises from that is, what does that term do? Uh, it really gives uh, the other party an opportunity to rectify those concerns before the matter is at the Commission. So traditionally, it's not been uncommon uh, for matters to be referred to the Commission without those local steps being complete. Uh, and completing those local steps uh, is necessary before the Commission can deal with the dispute. It's better to resolve those issues early rather than raise them for the first time at the Commission. Absolutely. That can definitely cause delays. Uh, it may well be that the Commission sends the parties away to complete those steps before seeking to conciliate. I do want to point out, though, there is something of a tension uh, between Clause 13.4 and Clause 13.5. Yes, that term concerns disputes of a collective character and recognises that early uh, reference to the Commission might be useful. But even then, uh, the clause does make the point that there is still a requirement to have made a genuine attempt to resolve the dispute at the workplace level. Yes, I think that disputes generally, um, time is of the essence. So moving to uh, subclause 13.6, which concerns conciliation and gives the Commission the power uh, to conciliate the dispute. Uh, of interest is when conciliation is considered to be complete. So conciliation is complete when one of uh, three things has happened. Firstly, the parties to the dispute agreed that it's settled, or the Commission member conducting the conciliation, either on their own motion or after an application by a party, is satisfied there is no likelihood that further conciliation will result in settlement within a reasonable period, or the parties to the dispute inform the Commission member there is no likelihood the dispute will be settled and the member does not have substantial reason to refuse to regard conciliation as complete. Uh, having dealt with conciliation, that does now take us to arbitration. Yes, Clause 13.7 provides that when conciliation is complete and the dispute is not settled, either party may request the Commission to arbitrate uh, the dispute. And I think that's a key point. Uh, when conciliation is complete, uh, parties can't go straight to arbitration. It's also worth noting that either party can object to the Commission member who conciliated from conducting the arbitration. So the practical question that comes up there is why would a party do that? 
They may feel uh, that the Commission member has given an indication as to their view, for example, but in truth, a party doesn't need a reason to make that request. It's a right under the agreement. And it's worth noting that the outcome of an arbitration is binding, although it can be appealed to a full bench. Uh, Maddie, there is a small change uh, at subclause 13.8 concerning conduct of matters before the Commission. Yes, at subclause B, uh, which provides for the avoidance of doubt, nothing in this clause 13 affects the operation of section 596 of the Act. So for those people who uh, don't recall uh, what section 596 provides, it's the part of the Act that, deal that deals with representation of the Commission. And what it does is it requires that lawyers and paid agents, they, they need to have permission. Yes, that, uh, that section though doesn't impact VHIA at all uh, as a registered organisation. And it doesn't affect employees of, uh, of our members. So uh, HR and I are people who go to the Commission on behalf of their employer, they don't need permission. But it does clarify that if a lawyer or a paid agent is appearing, the normal rules of the Act applies. Uh, finally, Maddie, uh, that takes us to 13.9, which describes the interaction between um, these terms and those in the statewide industry panel at clause 14. It, it provides that some disputes can only be dealt with through the statewide industry panel. Uh, and namely disputes proposing uh, ward mergers uh, and roles that are not subject to an existing classification, they only go through that statewide industry panel. Disputes uh, about the existing classification structure can be under either or both save that the arbitration component of the dispute resolution clause at clause 13 won't apply, the statewide industry panel will determine the dispute instead. Uh, and of course, those statewide industry panel decisions are themselves subject to review by the commission in accordance with that clause. Absolutely, but that does sound like another podcast topic. Uh, it certainly does. Uh, hopefully people will have uh, been reminded as to the terms of the dispute settlement procedure and have formed the view that it's better than settling disputes by riding two bicycles whilst holding a couple of garden rakes uh, at each other, uh, possibly. Thank you, Maddie, for taking us through it. Thanks, Stuart.